Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. Your Associate Director of Disciples Men, Alex Ruth here, and I have with me as always the, the Director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander. Greg, to have, good to have you with us today. Hey, Alex. Great to be with you as always. Hope you're doing well. I am. I hope you are well as well. Um, I'm really excited about um, our podcast today. We have a special guest with us, um, and uh, so it is my pleasure to uh, introduce to our listeners uh, the National Pastor of Hispanic Ministries and uh, Christian Church Disciples of Christ, uh, Pastor Lori Tapia. So, Lori, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's an honor and such a just a blessing to be able to join you all, Disciples Men, on this fine day. Blessings to you all. Looking forward to some great conversation. And blessings to you, Lori. We're so glad that you are here. I have had the privilege of working with you now since uh, you began your journey in the role that you're in when I was in the College Regional Ministers. And I have to tell people who are listening that you know, Lori, that I was a, a really excited when they called you to the role. And um, and I just have to say that you are, you are one of the finest leaders we have in our church. And uh, you have proven that. And circles I've been in over and over and uh, to have you as a part of the church and the work that you do and especially for you to take the time to be with us today is a real treat so thank you for doing that. Thank you for those very kind words I, I appreciate it as as many people say I'll send you a check later for the good notes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'll cash a penny check anymore. But that... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway. No, that's heartfelt. I've, uh, I have admired you and the work that you've done uh, since I've got to know you. And uh, the church is a far better place because of the role you, you have with us, the ministry you do. It is our custom when we have a special guest to allow our guests to introduce themselves. And uh, we, and we kind of wanted you to go a little bit into the weeds. Uh, tell us about you know some of your journey, how you got uh, in the ministry, and how you got into the position you're in now. And the floor is yours for as long as you want it. Wow, weeds, huh? Um, <laughs> you can decide how deep you go. Well, so so one of the things that happened um, right about the time that we were going into quarantine um, for this pandemic is um, I had been working on a project for several years. Um, and it, it was about to be published and come out right at the time that we went into a pandemic. And so I have a book out that uh, came out in 2020 that's called Hello, Nice to Meet Me, A Journey to the Most Authentic You. And the reason that I say that is because you talk about the weeds, that book, um, because it's based on identity and um, identity in Christ in particular, that is one of my passions. Um, just empowerment overall and how we are called as the body of Christ to empower one another to, to be our most authentic selves. I think that's the greatest gift we can give to the world is to be authentically who God created us to be. And so in this book, I, I, I do go way deep into the weeds using my story, my journey um, to invite other people and to encourage other people to, to go into their story, right? And to get to know who you are. And so that tells a lot of my journey. It tells a lot about um, 
how I came to know Christ. I, I did not grow up in the church. Um, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Catholic church, which in the Latino tradition is often much more cultural and traditional than religious. Um, and so it, you know, it wasn't an everyday thing. And, you know, while I did all of my, uh, you know, my baptism and Holy Communion and confirmation and things like that, um, it, it really was not a, a foundation for me um, like I, I would have expected it to be. And through life, uh, you know, circumstances and, and things that we go through, I had a beautiful opportunity to encounter Christ and have been walking this path for, um, for years now. Um, I was a professional musician. Um, I was also um, a, uh, just a, a community, uh, community activist, community uh, developer. Um, I start you know, working with a, a school district, doing after school programs and working with nonprofit programs, doing substance abuse prevention um, with uh, very disadvantaged teens. Um, those types of programs, uh, you know, did many years um, working in the field of domestic violence, uh, everything from working direct response with victims um, to you know, serving training police officers and you know, different things like that. Um, and I, before I, I, I really came into a leadership role in the church, uh, that was really my world. I, you know, I, I was living in kind of the social services realm. Um, the last to later part of my life as a director of a community um, family resource center in Arizona, where I'm from. So I'm from Arizona, um, born and raised on the Arizona-Mexico border, um, the city of Douglas, Arizona, which is border city to Aguaprieta, Sonora, Mexico. Um, and I literally grew up on both sides of the border. Um, you know, family on both sides of the border, life on both sides of the border, um, met the most amazing, um, handsome, wonderful, caring, loving man that exists on this planet, my husband, Martin, on the other side of the border, um, brought him through a hole in the fence. Uh, so when you talk about immigrant families, um, you know, years ago, when we submit his paperwork for, you know, his his immigration status, you know, for him to have his, his residency and all of those pieces, it asks, um, you know, how did you enter the United States? And way back when I literally wrote through a hole in the fence because I did, I, he, I dropped him off at the border. He came through a hole in the fence and waited for me in a ditch and I crossed the border and picked him up. And so, so yeah, the, the, you know, these are real life stories that, you know, are often from the people we least expect um, you know, so my, my kids, you know, grew up in this, in this reality, in this world of the border, the U.S.-Mexico border, which is its own kind of third country. Um, and so that's life as I know it. Um, I, you know, I served on city council in the, in the community of Douglas and, um, you know, have kind of done a lot of things that were around community. Um, I never really was it uh, was driven by kind of the spiritual aspects of my life until we as a family um, went through a very traumatic experience. So so we were nightclub owners. I mentioned that I was a professional musician. Um, we were nightclub owners. And um, so I say we, my husband and I, my family, basically. Um, my oldest son, who is now 33, 
um, was eight years old when he started playing the drums professionally with us. And so uh, my husband and I, my husband is also a musician. And so we, we kind of lived in that secular world in the clubs and in the bars. And, uh, you know, that was our scene. I have three recordings, you know, that we did kind of pre-Jesus in my life. I'm going to say that. Um, kind of that pre-encounter with Jesus, which really was a change. Um, in that nightclub on a Monday afternoon, February 25th, which was my daughter's birthday, um, four armed men came into that restaurant at about two in the afternoon, and they kidnapped my husband for 10 days. They held him. Um, he was uh, held against his will for 10 days, which means our whole family was held against our will. Um, you know, we, uh, my, my three children, I have two sons and a daughter, Joey, Alex, and Cassandra. And um, those were the longest 10 days of my life. And, and during that time, one of the things that um, just, you know, we lived what you think only happens in the movies. Um, you know, love and another time to, to share kind of that deeper testimony of, of what we lived and, and how God um, showed up and used that moment, used the kidnappers, used the experience, used what happened afterwards um, to really just what, you know, and, and my theology may differ from your theology, but I'm going to speak to you from my context. Yeah. You know, just um, it really felt like God deployed an army for our souls. Um, praise God, my husband, you know, was set free. We did not have to um, pay a, a ransom. Wow. You know, God, God just moved things in ways. Yeah. Every possible law enforcement agency that you can imagine was involved in this. Yeah. Everybody from the local Chandler Police Department in Arizona to the DA, DEA, to the FBI, to Customs and Immigration, the Marshals, um, because of the threat that they could take them across the border. So there was just so many things going on. Um, again, we lived in a pretty ugly world. We were nightclub owners, you know. Um, we were broke as a joke. Uh, it was at the time when all of um, the, the, the major immigration issues were happening in Arizona. People were fleeing. Um, so the economy got hit pretty hard. Um, and there we were. But the facade that people saw on the outside was, you know, these are nightclub owners. They've got to have something. Um, the other part of that is, you know, we, we can't always choose our family. And there were connections to drug cartels um, in, in my husband's family um, that um, owed some money. And my husband is the pillar of his family. And, you know, somebody thought, let's take him and somebody's going to pay. But again, God did things that we didn't understand until years later. Um, right. But once we got through that, um, that horrific experience, I, you know, when I say we lived things that, that you think only happen in the movies, I can't even begin to tell you that yeah. the, horrific phone calls that I received. Um, I only received phone calls, you know, every other day or every third day. Um, just the, the demands and the things that we lived through, um, literally working with the police to do a fake money drop and they, you know, exploded the car and arrested one guy and one guy got away. So I thought I had killed my husband. So yeah, all kinds of crazy things. Wow. That's, that's another story, but I need to give you that context because yeah. you're asking me how I came to where I am. And so that is really what God used. Um, when my husband was, was set free, 
we literally live today saying we were set free through captivity. We we experienced kind of a Daniel experience, you know, it was through captivity where we really encountered um, this new freedom that God had brought into our life. Everywhere we went for about, that happened in February, February 25th, he was released on March 6th. Um, from that time until July, everywhere we went, to the grocery store, to the pharmacy, to, to whatever it was we were doing, somebody stopped to tell us about the love of Jesus. Wow. And, you know, here I was from this Catholic background. I thought people were crazy. And, you know, I, I kept thinking, what are all these radical people? You know, why, why? They would tell me, you know, do you, do you believe in God? And I would say, yeah, I'm Catholic. You know, years later, I realized I had no idea who God was. Um, but that wasn't because it was a failure on the Catholic Church. It was a failure on my own relationship and my, you know, my own ability to seek God. But I, I remember joking with my husband um, and I would tell him, God, these darn Christians, they're, they're like stop signs on every corner <laughs> because they would just show up. And I had had an experience with the Christian church, which kind of had turned me off. Um, and it wasn't really the church. It was more an encounter that I had with the Holy Spirit that turned me off. We had visited a Christian church with some cousins of my husband's at one point. And when we walked in the door, you know, here I am, this musician, this professional musician, you know, I'm a nightclub owner. I've got all my stuff together. I've been a, this successful professional all my life. I walk into this place and they take us to the front row. So what am I thinking? I'm thinking, of course they take us to the front row. And there's this little, you know, group of, of musicians up there about to start playing. They played horrifically. <laughs> but the minute, the minute that they strummed the guitar and started singing, tears started flowing out of my eyes. And so I spent a good 20 to 30 minutes because in the Latino church, you do worship through music for quite a while before you get into anything else. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of the way that we, we prepare, right. We, you know, as, as a, a people who often are working two jobs and are, you know, there's just so much um, burden and weight that we carry. You come into church and you can take some time to just kind of let all that stuff go. And so music is, is that method in the, in the, the Brown church. And so, the music is going 20 to 30 minutes and I'm sitting there wiping away my tears. Um, and I'm so angry because I've got it all together. Why in the world am I crying? Right. So we left that place. And I told my husband, don't ever invite me again. <laughs> I will never again go with you. <laughs> so here we are a few years. This was a few years prior. Here we are in this period of a few months. And everywhere we go, somebody is inviting us to a church. Somebody is telling us that God has a plan for us. Somebody is telling us how Jesus loved us. And I am just not buying it. So we come out of a grocery store one day. And my husband was taken on Monday, the 25th. Friday, the 23rd, we closed down our nightclub to celebrate my daughter's 15th birthday. And in my tradition, um, that's a big celebration. It's a quinceanera. Mm -hmm. um, and so we shut down the nightclub and we celebrated this huge quinceanera. A girl that bartended for us um, was living in the household of a pastor. And she connected us with him and he came in and did that 
religious service, which is what we, you know, that's what we called it in that time, did that religious service right on the dance floor of our nightclub. Mm. So we're coming out of a grocery store. So that was two days before. We're coming out of a grocery store, maybe about six weeks, eight weeks after this. And somebody grabs my husband by the arm. And I lived terrified because uh, my husband, after his kidnapping, started carrying a gun. He didn't know how to use a gun, never had carried a gun before in his life. But because of the traumatic experience we're living, so I lived every day now traumatized that he was going to shoot somebody because he was just, you know, he was still living that moment. Um, turns out that it is this pastor that did this quinceanera, uh, you know, a month and a half or two months prior. And he starts to tell us, I have been looking for you because God gave me a message during your captivity. And again, you know, you can, you may be rolling your eyes as you're <laughs> listening to this, my brother, uh, my friend, but this is a real life experience. And he begins to tell us that God showed him vision while, while we were living through that experience. Now I will say there was no release of information during the 10 days that he was captive. Uh, the way the news work, they show up at, you know, they're assigned to police departments all across the, the country and they show up at six in the morning to see what happened the night before. So the detectives that were working in our case had to do extra steps to seal his case so that it wouldn't come out. When he was released, we realized they threatened me before they left that, before they left the restaurant, because it was a restaurant nightclub. Before they left with him, they threatened me. Um, not to let anybody know, but I waited six hours, didn't hear from them. So I called the police. So they were involved all the way through. Um, when he came out, uh, it turns out that they sat him down at five o'clock and at 10 o'clock in front of the, one of the, the Spanish speaking news stations with a gun to his head, um, in case something came out. So he's telling us that, you know, he's heard this, um, you know, and, and that he had this vision and that he had a message for us. And he begins to tell us um, that God was with us through this moment, that God has always been with us, that we, um, so in the secular world, the name of our band was Alas de Oro, which means wings of gold. He said, he, he continues on and he's, he's telling us at this point um, that God had showed him um, that we were going to, my husband was going to be set free. And that out of gratitude, all of the gifts that God had given us would cease to be used um, for purposes other than his, and that we would cease to become wings of gold and we would become wings of salvation. And then he pulls out his Bible and he reads to us Malachi 4.2, which basically says, yeah, paraphrase it because I have it off my, the top of my head in English. Um, it says basically that... Um, the the son of righteousness will come and on his wings will be salvation, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, or healing, it says in some versions, in the Spanish version, it says salvation. So perplexed, freaking out. Um, my husband and I go home that day. Life continues. People continue to show up in our lives. About six to eight weeks later, my husband says to me one day, I want to go to that church. And now, when my husband was captive, there was a moment where I, um, I, I fell to my knees and um, just cried out to God. And I said, God, if you bring me my husband back, I will draw near to you. I, I will 
drawing your teeth. Obviously, I did not measure the words of my mouth in the same way that God did. <laughs> because for me, that meant I'll show up to the Catholic Church every Sunday <laughs> for right. an hour and nothing else is going to change. By the context of my life today, obviously, you can see that God and I did not have the same understanding of those words. Um, we went to that church that day. It was a Wednesday afternoon. We went and drove by the church. There was no information about the service. Um, we knew where the pastor lived because the bartender, we used to give her rides home. So we show up at the pastor's house and my husband goes and knocks on the door, tells him we want to come to church, gives him the information, all of that there. So here we are uh, now in this moment at this church. Um, there's an evangelist that day from Puerto Rico who's visiting this church. And he's, the music started and you can imagine what happened to me when the music started, the tears started rolling down my eyes. Uh, you know, I, but I, I went with it. There was some, there was a shift that was already happening in my life. Long story short, so that I could move to the context of today. Um, we found ourselves at the altar that day, accepting Jesus into our lives. Um, have no idea what that really meant. Had no idea what was really happening. Went home and we had very rebellious kids, teenage kids at that life who had grown up in this um, nightclub experience with us. Um, they thought we were going crazy because we started going to church at this church every Wednesday and every Sunday and people started showing up in our house. God knew I need to put as many people around them as possible. People were showing up in the morning with donuts in the afternoon with pizza at night with carne asada tacos um, to talk to us, to pray with us, to sing in our house, this, this music, this Jesus music. Um, my kids thought we were going absolutely crazy. They thought we had lost it. And I realized later, yeah, we did. We lost it, but but we lost it for Jesus, which was mm -hmm. an okay thing. Yeah. So time time goes by. Here we are in this church and you know, we're there we're 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 growing and we're receiving, you know, doctrinal foundations and we're we're starting to build this relationship with God and um, Jesus just started to do a mighty work in our life. Um, in ways that I can't even begin to explain. I knew very early on in our walk with Jesus that there was a higher calling, um, a pastoral calling on our life. Um, three years later, um, we were planting our first church. Wow. And God just moved in ways. Um, and when we planted that church, um, we had already been connected to some disciples um, just through some some work we as musicians we you know we had a ministry a music ministry and so we um, at the time were supporting churches doing you know outdoor campaigns and you know outdoor services and just you know some different things like that um, and so we had a connection uh, we knew that we didn't want to be an independent church because we had learned everything not to do as a pastor in the church that we were in um, and, and we had seen some things that we didn't want to continue. Um, and so we did some research. Um, I knew I had a pastoral call. So some of the places that we researched, you know, kind of talked to my husband and didn't look at me. And, um, you know, we knew very clearly that we both had a pastoral call. Um, so we ended up with the disciples who embraced us and um, who, who we fell in love with. We knew we were home. Um, we knew that's where we wanted to be, and we just began diving in, um, building a lot of um, relationship and 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 just doing what we felt God was calling us to do. 
um, you know, time went by and I was invited to serve on the board um, of Hispanic Ministries. And um, before I knew it, um, I had received an invitation to serve in a two-year role as interim national Hispanic pastor. And so I came into this role thinking that I was going to be here for two years. My predecessor, Uberto Pimentel, who had been there 10 years, was retiring. Um, and so I uh, prayed about it and my husband and I fasted and he said yes before I did. Um, <laughs> and, and I will, you know, I will say that's an important piece. Yeah. Um, so I've been in this, I've been in this role for four and a half years. So I came in two years as interim, um, not being able to apply or be elected to stay. And I knew that coming in and I was okay with that. I was coming in to, to do what I felt God was calling me to do. Um, to create some shift, to build some relationships, to 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 move us in a new direction, um, and it ended up taking a whole other turn. God did another move, and um, in 2018, so that was in 2016 and 2018 at our Hispanic Assembly, um, they reversed the um, the the vote to not allow me to to move into being considered. Um, they reversed that in 2018 so that they could vote me in as their national pastor. Wow. Um, and so God moves in ways that we don't expect. And, and when I say my husband said yes before I did, um, that's an important piece. And I want to speak to all you disciples men about this today. Um, it might not always be easy um, for your wife, for your partner, for um for another female colleague um, to, to seem to, to rise in ways that may seem like, why am I not rising? Um, and in the Latino tradition, you know, there is a lot of still questioning whether women should be in ministry. And, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of that. And so for my husband to, to be the one to say, yes, this is what God is calling you to do, it would be very difficult for me to do this role without the full support of my husband. My husband sees more in me than I do, I think. And he knew that it was God calling me. And um, instead of feeling less than, because his wife is now his pastor, um, in that sense, um, you know, if you think about it in that role, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm the pastor for the pastors and the congregation. And, and so his support means so much because he can fully be the pastor he's called to be. He's also a local pastor. Uh, and I can fully be who God is calling me to be. And there's no competition and there's no um, animosity about that. There's just love and support and ministry together um, in what we're called to do. And so um, that's kind of how I got here. And, uh, you know, my story is not a typical, I went through, jumped through the hoops. Um, you know, my, my story is different. I was called into this position while I was still in seminary, I did not have, I was not formally ordained when I took the interim position, which was also another kind of, whoa, wait a second, what's happening to our church? Um, I, you know, I, I do believe that we're in a time of shift. And I believe that there's some foundations that are cracked just a little too much to continue to build on them. And we need to just rip those out. And I kind of think that's what God did with putting me in this position. So, yeah. There's, wow. that's, that's Lori. 
that's a phenomenal story. And I was thinking back um, and looking forward to this conversation. I probably met you first right about that same time. Um, yeah, 2016. At, at 2016. That was, mm-hmm. you, we were at a, a training for coaches uh for clergy uh with the hope partnership at that time and i know you got called away to a couple things and now i think i know what you got called away to so (laughs) i was literally i had literally four days before arriving there received the call (laughs) to ask if i would step into that position so i kind of knew what was happening in my life at that moment because that was june i was i was elected in in july yeah so yes i do i do remember that that's a, that's a little bit of context for me. Uh, explains <laughs> explains why why someone else there went, might have been a little bit stressed. I know I know that you had <laughs> other things going on. It's helpful to be near Indianapolis when those things are going on, so we can have those conversations face to face. You mentioned something there at, towards the tail end of your story that I think is is important, and I just want to hear maybe a little bit more of your thoughts on um, one of the things that Greg and I. Um, have lifted up is the challenges of um, of competition, even among men. So yeah. you know, men have this tendency, at least culturally, uh, Anglo men culturally, for sure. Um, my context that I can speak to, um, to be in competition not only with the women in our lives, but with other guys, and that. Yeah that can devalue the relationships or it makes the relationship happen in a different way. Um, so speak a little bit more if you can about how you see competition in, in, in your context. Definitely. Um, you're right on. Um, you know, I think that that's just something particularly in, in our society um, that we're taught from, you know, such a young age, you know, part of the American dream is claw your way to the top. Um, and so when we, you know, bring that into the, the body of Christ, into the community of faith, um, you know, it's almost the polar opposite to what the gospel is, is, is teaching us to do, but it's so ingrained in us that it's hard to move away from that. Um, but again, I go back to kind of that whole identity concept. I think a lot of that has to do with an identity crisis on an individual level. So I, I, when I think about identity, I think about um, our, uh, our individual identities inform our collective identity. And our collective identity then informs how we are together, right? And, and who we are together. And so when, when one doesn't know who they are and whose they are, um, when you, when you don't, when you haven't fully dealt with who you are as an individual. And I, I, you know, I think that on every possible layer, right? Your ups and downs. If we think about our life as a movie, um, many of us spend life wanting to edit out those things that we don't like about ourselves and edit in the things that we like about other people to try and create this perfect version. Well, that will never be the authentic person that God has created. And so, you know, I said early on how passionate I am about authentic living. I I think part of the the reason that we get kind of wrapped up in this this competitive world, especially in the world of ministry, is because of some of that um, fear to live authentically. 
Um, you know, we, we live behind masks. We learn to cover things. We learn to let people only see what we want them to see. And so part of that means in order to keep the facade of these masks that people are seeing, I need to, I need to do things at a different level. And if somebody else is achieving before I am, I think we question, well, is God going to have enough for me too? Or, you know, I, I, we also, you know, are a bit envious and, you know, in, in the Latino culture, that has been, you know, very true in the Latino culture. You need to understand the pastoral role is, is, is sacred. It is it's like right there under the hem of the garment of Jesus. Right. And so, um, you know, I think there's, there's pros and there's cons to that. You know, there's the, 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 this very strong pastoral relationship and kind of a reverence for the role of pastor, but it also can open the door to an abusive pastor. And sometimes the competition impacts that yes. because you're teaching the people in your church certain things. Um, that competition even goes to not wanting the people in your church to be better than you, mm -hmm. right? You know, I, I don't want to see the people in my church growing more to where they're going to know more than I am because then that devalues me as a pastor. That's not the gospel. That's not what God calls us to. God calls us to disciple one another. And the process of, of discipleship isn't about church administration and it isn't about um, position and title. It's about empowerment. Mm -hmm. And so competition is the opposite of that, right? We can empower each other in competition. There's healthy competition. I'm very competitive. You know, there's, there's healthy competition, but not when that is about keeping others down so that you can be on top. That goes more with some of the hurtful ideologies that, you know, are, that we're all living in this time. Right. And so I, I, I'll just yeah. kind of leave that there. Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the things that Alex and I've been about, especially through our Jesus way men ministry is, uh, uh, and it's been a theme of mine for many, many years, and, and, and that is understanding that competition has value in how it is kind of, you know, how it kind of shapes and hones and, you know, our skills and helps us, you know, keeps, I think, you know, we wouldn't have the medicines we have today and some of the advantages that we have if it weren't for competition. But what happens in our culture is we let competition define us and, you know, it defines us by our successes and failures. And so, if that's the sense of how we measure self-worth is those external measures that comes with how well we compete in the world. Um, we've essentially, as you said, traveled in, in a polar opposite direction than what God calls us to follow in through Jesus Christ. And uh, that is um, the tide of competition and its impact on us in a capitalistic uh, culture like our own is a really hard one to overcome. It's really hard because of the church, in my judgment, if there's been one great failure for me in the church is that the church has failed to uh, uplift and give um, energy and credibility to having a different way of, of uh, assessing one's sense of worth. Yeah. And um, uh, for some reason, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I'm a child of God or, you know, um, you know, Jesus is my Lord doesn't carry an identity weight for us, at least as disciples and many, you know, us, well, I can only speak for as an Anglo. It doesn't seem to carry the power that you described in your story. Mm -hmm. 
and um, you know your your story. There's no way you could have escaped. You know <laughs> that sense of of worth that was demonstrated to you through you know the actions of faith and spirit and God Christ. Uh, and, uh, but I, for some reason, we we tend to want to play that down. We tend to want to put that on a back burner and pull out the card only when it helps us compete better in whatever it is that we're doing. And, you know, the rest of the time we sort of leave it in our billfold and hope nobody notices, you know, that I go to church on Sunday. Yeah, we're a very solitary, um, you know, society. And, you know, I think about someone like, um, like Abraham, right? Um, Abram and his first part of his journey, everywhere that he stopped, you know, as we read through the book of Genesis, everywhere that he stopped, he built an altar. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that he built an altar so he had a place to go and hang out. He built an altar for everyone else to see. Right. Something happened here. And 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 we we see that pattern continue. Uh, and we see that pattern continue over and over and over again. And to me, that says something about impacting generations. It, it's teaching something. And, and if we take that context of, you know, I, I think about even in, in Joshua, you know, when we get to kind of the 20s, chapter 20, 21 of Joshua, when, um, you know, the, the, the tribes, and I'm going to forget the names of the tribes. Of course, I'm going to forget the names of the tribes that Moses had given the land to, right, um, on the opposite side. And so they're coming back to their side, right? They're coming back there. And the first thing they do is they come together and they build an altar. And I'm thinking, wow, this has passed down generation to generation to generation. And so think, thinking of that into the context of who we are today, the, the altar that we're called to build is through our, our witness for That's the world. Right. It's through right. our testimony. And if we're not telling people what God is doing in our life, then we're not building altars like we're called to do. Everywhere that God places us, I believe, is a platform for us to share the love of God. And, and that might look different in, in different contexts. It might look different in different traditions. You know, for the Latino tradition, you know, it's still opening the microphone to people to, you know, to come up and share what God is doing, right? And to share testimony. Um, there's, there's so many ways that I think we in this world today need to be building altars at the church. And part of that is how are we building altars to encourage each other? When we share our stories, we're one. One, one thing that I learned as I was writing this book is um, because the book goes very profound into helping any individual kind of go through some things in life and, and, and check some things in life. It's about uh, you know, self-introspection. Um, but it's also about how are you connected to community and who are you connected to in community and why is that important and all of those different pieces that are there. But, I, you know, I think relationships are about life and life is about relationships. Mm-hmm. We have to be encouraging one another. And, and when you're pouring into somebody, when you're blessing somebody, when you're giving of self to somebody, it's not that you're being left with less than that God is the one that's filling your cup and God will always give you enough to carry over so that you can share with others. And when you've been pouring into somebody and discipling somebody as a pastor, as a leader, 
um, as someone just called to share God's love and you start to see them grow up and build up and stand in who they are, that's a reflection of that altar that you built for them. That's a reflection of your work for the body of Christ in the kingdom. And so it's not diminishing, it's empowering. It's empowering them and it's empowering you. Take the win, man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely take the win. I, I've been telling the little church I serve uh, long that I haven't used the altar image, which I will, and I will give you credit for that. Um, <laughs> is that the altars that I believe we build today um, don't come through our words, but through our deeds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talk is so cheap. And as we've learned over the last several months is that not only is it cheap, but it can be uh, dangerous. And um uh, and so I keep reminding my folks, it's, you know, if you have a chance to tell your, your face story to somebody else, tell it, but yeah. they're probably going to walk away and, uh, you know, and roll their eyes. And because they've heard other people try to beat them up with their stories way too many times, I said, so why don't you, you know, why don't you do a deed of kindness to yeah. that individual? You don't have to tell them you're doing it on Jesus behalf. They'll figure that out. Just do something yeah. to make a difference in somebody's life. and and find how much richer and and how much more full you are mm -hmm. as a result of that action. And I, so again, I love the image of building altars. It is yeah. true. It's exactly what we're called to do. And I think, you know, we grew up in a time where words, you know, words were what we used and uh, to, to tell the story. But I do think that's one of the cultural shifts we've seen, at least in my world where I live is that, you know, nobody pays much attention to your words anymore, but pretty hard to deny an act of kindness pretty hard to find evil intention behind you know, it. We, with what we've been experiencing um, through this pandemic, through the multiple pandemics that we're living, you know, we're not just living the coronavirus pandemic, you know, we're living the racial divide, right. you know, the, 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 just the polarization of, of our whole society, right? This idea of left and right or right and wrong. And, uh, you know, that, that's, it's gonna exist. You know, it's going to exist. But we as the body of Christ, we as the community of faith have um, a particular call on our life to be part of building the next era. You know, in my own belief and understanding, um, I really feel like, um, you know, as we study history, we see the difference between moving from one generation to the next and when we're moving from one era to the next era. Mm -hmm. And and I really do feel like God is moving us into a new era. And what are we going to do about being creators and builders in this time? Instead of reacting and trying to catch up later, we need to be the ones who are building and shaping and forming and transforming the world that we want to live in. And the only way we can do that is through those acts of kindness, through that love, mm -hmm. um, you know, to continue to do that is important. One of the things that is, you know, critically important for the obra hispana in particular um, that I serve um, is, is connection and, and, and being connected in, in ways um, beyond just what the, you know, the everyday experience in churches, the everyday experience in church for the Latino community is, is much more than faith. It is much more than faith. Right. And, and, and it's a necessity, you know, it, it's a necessity that, that, um, you know, that fellowship, that, that koinonia that we receive when we come together. And so this time has been very difficult, very, very difficult. Um, yesterday, uh, one of our pastors 
um, who him and his wife had been um, on ventilators at the same time, both of them uh, due to COVID, um, you know, looked like things were turning around for both of them. He passed away yesterday. Oh, wow. And without the community of faith, beyond one local church, without the community of faith in the Hispanic convention and across the life of the Obra Hispana, they're kind of to be present and to support those four young adult, you know, kids who some, you know, married and have their families, but their mom is still in the hospital. Their father has passed the pastor of a church. You have a whole church hurting, but it's not a church problem. It's a community problem. Right. It's a community issue. And, and, and it's there, it's there where we truly build altars. It's there mm -hmm. where we learn that the altar isn't just a place where you come and you bow down, um, where you come and you kneel, where you come and have someone lay hands on you. Um, the altar is about life. We, we as followers of Jesus, not only are called to pick up our cross every day and follow him, but when we do that, we become a living altar. We become that living witness for the love of Christ in this world. And it's, it's, it's not about competition and who's right and who's wrong. You know, the unfortunate opposite of that is the things happening around us seem like they're using the altars to build walls of division. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so we, we become bulldozers for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even that's an altar a, a witness in some form. Yeah. Yep. Yes, it is. Yep. Yes, As it we, is. Before we run out of time, we always want to give our guests a chance to, to speak uh, a message to the men in our church. And um, from your perspective, your unique and wonderful perspective, are there places where you could see, issue a challenge or invite help or something to, to um, disciple men uh, that, that would assist your ministry in some way? Uh, definitely. Um, you know, I, I believe that um, this is a time that God is crying out to the men um, to step up, mm -hmm. to, to step up, to 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 be that that witness for the love of Christ. Um, you know, we we see often, um, you know, men are in leadership roles and, you know, men are doing the but men are not always the majority who's in the church. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, what do you do with that outside of having a title in the church? What do you do with that outside of being a leader in a church? Um, how do you take that into your everyday life? How do you let that help you live more authentically? Um, if, if there is a challenge that, that I would put out today, it is a challenge for, for all men um, to not be afraid to live authentically, you know, to not be afraid to let someone see maybe that softer side. Uh, to not be afraid to let your empathy and your compassion shine through because the world needs it. And particularly as a white man, I call you out to love your neighbor in ways that maybe you never have. I call you out to build relationship with communities that don't look like you and to take some time to begin to listen to those stories. And if there is a way that I can be a conduit to help make that happen, I would love to do that because I believe that, that the more the more you get to know people and the more you get to realize just how much more alike we all really are, the more we can fall in love with our own selves. Yeah. As I was finishing writing my book, the one thing I realized is that the more I got to know myself and the more I started 
um, to understand that all my story mattered, the ups and downs and the ugly moments and, and the, the high, great moments. The more I fell in love with myself and the more I was able to fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with other people. And, and so, you know, I, I, I call us all out, not just the men, I call us all out. Um, and I, I want to leave you with a scripture today. Please. Um, um, so Luke chapter nine, um, verse 23, um, you know, Jesus is in this moment predicting his death. But the one thing that stands out in the middle of all of this is um, he says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way of life. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Wow. Amen to that. Well, Lori, I can't tell you how, what a joy it's been to have you as a part of our broadcast today, our podcast. And um, um, I, my, my big regret is that outside of uh, one other ministry, I don't get the chance to interact with you very often anymore. And, uh, but I do, I do pray for you and celebrate the, you know, the ministry. And so uh, Alex and I both want to say to you that as time goes on and if you see ways that our work through disciples men can find a tangible expression uh you know for you and your ministry which is really our ministry too uh you just ask because we that's that's our goal and i and i want to i want to make sure i get our plug in we shared this with our listeners before and that is uh that we that we are as soon as the pandemic gives us the green light to do this, we are going to gather with uh, representatives from our whole church, uh, from you know your community, the NAPAD community, the African American community, uh, to come together to try to find a way to develop resources that will work for all of us. You know, that's again, it's not as we said before we started the conversation. It's not just Alex and I, you know, creating ministry and translating it into Spanish. This is mm -hmm. something in which we all have a chance to create something we all can find. Uh, uh, you know, value in together. Amen. And uh, so that's something we we have in the pipeline that we hope to have uh, coming out soon. And you're going to be a big part of us making that happen. So thank you, Lori. Amen. I continue to pray abundant prayers over disciples men and look forward uh, to what God is doing under the leadership of both of you, Greg. You know, I appreciate you, you know, so, so much. You were just such an encouragement for me when I you know, showed up now as, as a member of the College of Regional Ministers and you're still there. And um, you just were, were such a breath of fresh air. And I am just so grateful for um, the altar that you were for me in that space. And so I am I'm very, very thankful. And I continue to pray over you all. And please know that, um, you know, if there's anything that I can do to support the ministry beyond, um, you know, prayer, please, please let me know. We won't be shy about that and uh, to call upon your, your leadership and what you have to bring. And so, Alex, I'll hand it back to you to wrap us up. Thank you so much, Lori. Yes, thank Lori, you. Thank you so much for your time today. I, I, I found um, that in, in a very much needed way, you took me to church today and I, I needed <laughs> that. So thank you for that. Uh, that. That was a great conversation. And I do look forward to, um, to how we will work together uh, in the future. Uh, for those of you who've been listening, uh, thank you for joining us, and we hope you will catch us in a future episode of the Disciples Men Podcast. See you later.
Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through discipleshomemissions.org. 